Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, recruiting, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is a boomerang guest back from episode number 14, back in the early days, Hung Lee. And Hung is a true thought leader in TA HR recruitment world. He is on top of the pulse of our shared recruiting world through his recruiting brain food newsletter and community, which he curates himself. I think he does. I think he has a whole team of elves that get to it. And prior to recruiting brain food, Hung founded Workshape.io, the revolutionary recruiting platform for software engineers. And he is an industry professional with decades and decades experience as an agency recruiter, well, maybe a decade and a half, but I like to make him feel old. A recruitment manager, he's done it all, head of talent and all different parts of the recruiting business. And he's now a strategic advisor for many companies in the London tech startup scene. And he's been at the forefront of developing and promoting new ways in which companies could connect to talent. He is a huge advocate of us recruiters. I consider him a friend, a mentor, and just an awesome human being. So let's jump in and get to the Hung Lee story properly. Hung, welcome back, my friend. Thank you for for having me back, um, Adam. I actually, I wonder how many people have boomeranged back and ready for, for round two. Did you get people like, yeah, I was such a great experience. I want to come back. Yeah, well, your episode 200, and just for reference for everyone out there, Hung was guest 14, and that was on May 2nd, 2019. We're recording this show on the 20th of October, 2022, and Hung is now guest 244. Man, that's actually amazing. That's like credit to you for the stamina of doing that type of work. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's doing podcasts now, but most of them stop at five or ten because they know then it's like this is hard work, but you're grinding it out, man. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Credit to you, bro. I truly do appreciate your support uh, online and, and offline uh, a million percent. So let's jump into it. This this podcast is not about me as much as I want it to be. It's about my guest. And Hung, I mean, we were we were going deep on some research here. And I don't think my my tribe really knows the Hung Lee story. And from what I understand, you were a bit of a hippie as a kid and a young adult. You didn't always have that short hair. Tell us tell us a little bit about young Hung and um, what did you enjoy doing? Yeah, young hung, holy shit. So yeah, I actually had long hair for a very long time. People don't know this. Um, and thankfully, this is like pre-mobile phone, right? So there's, there's there's like very little digital evidence that this is ever the case. And I have no problem with that. You know, I think that's totally fine. Um, right. But. But basically, um, I uh, when I was uh, uh, sort of studying, uh, sort of at eight, 17, 18, uh, and having to start thinking about you know long-term future and so on, I was like very, very convinced that I never, ever, ever wanted to get involved in any sort of like white-collar really? 
traditional behind the desk type of work. Um, and I, screw I basically, the establishment, screw the man. This is not what I want to be doing. Not what I wanted to do. Um, I'm and, and insofar as I started to like almost sabotage any possibility of that happening. So I started looking back in it now, I realized it was like a, a kind of implicit sabotage because I started choosing these esoteric courses to do um, and read it, you know, higher like education onwards. Like, for instance, I was thinking, let's do mythology. I was thinking, mm, I'll do Egyptology for a master's or something, you know, stuff like this, where clearly. Uh, what the hell this, is Egyptology going to get you in, in the real world? Where is Egyptology well, going to get you? My friend, the plan was to not interact with the real world. I wanted to not do this, <laughs> right? And so I was choosing these options in order to exit myself from it, almost force myself away. Um, and I ended up choosing anthropology, social anthropology, um, which was the study of, um, you know, cultures and communities, um, and, but typically cultures and communities outside of, you know, our current uh, uh, westernized world. So social anthropology um, in terms of, uh, how it began was really about going out and, and studying people who were very different, very foreign, and trying to figure out how they organize how how they organize life. And that's that's kind of how I had the 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 image. And I thought, right, I mean, you know, this is when the long hair came. It was like a significant commitment never to be a person in careers, right? When I'm kind of reading between the lines, though, is you you did have an innate kind of curiosity about people and and things and how they worked and the meaning behind them do you think that was the the original foundation to leading into a a, a career in recruitment I've, it's gone back a whole loop so so, so the answer is no um because when i made the Good. decision to go, go into recruitment um that was a purely materialistic i need money now type of decision um and 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 so there was I, want, a- I want to pause on that there's there there's an important part of the story and i don't know how much you want to talk about it but believe me I, you were in, a, in an accident when you're a young man that left you recovering and that was a moment of reflection too when you're like what the hell am i doing with my life what do i want to do and you needed to take care of your family you needed to take care of yourself and and correct me if i'm wrong that part of the story is critical to driving into the world of recruitment yeah, 100%. So in between sort of me being a hippie and not wanting to do anything to do with careers, um, there, and then now, you know, getting into recruiting, which, you know, is the polar opposite, um, was, was essentially, you know, quite a significant accident I had. Um, you know, no one died. So the, thankfully, you know, all, all the blessings need to be Jeez. counted. And it, and it turned out that I was actually the most injured person. Um, which again, I count as a blessing, right? Because you know, no one else had to suffer as, as uh, to that degree. Uh, and, right. the, and 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 essentially, what it meant was, so my left leg was busted up really bad. I had a head-on crash uh, with a van. It turned out this van had had like Jeez. yeah, a, it was fully loaded with dinner ladies. Would you believe? So it was like a really heavy van. There were twelve people in it, right? And they were they were on some sort of oh, party. Um, so this was the a white van. It was actually very heavy. I, we were in a Nissan Micra, so a very small car at the time. Head on crash. Tin can. Um, tin can exactly. Uh, you had to be cut out of the car. You know that kind of level. Um, oh and God. I thought, okay, so my left leg was like busted up um it was broken in about five places um and it was concertinaed if you like um because what happened was we had a head-on crash and the engine went into the left hand side of the car went into my leg and it just like concertinaed up so it was quite an ugly scene let's say in vehicle when i was looking down at my leg and saw this oh my god my femur do this it was like oh i ain't touching that that looks fucking horrible yeah so anyway um 
that was actually quite horrific. I mean, but anyway, we got we got cut out of the car. This is me and my mother. My mother was driving the car. She was also injured, but not as badly as me. Um, and uh, eventually, basically, basically, long story short, it just meant that I was in hospital for a long time. And I was in and out of hospital for a long time because the nature of the injuries was, was that I was unable to recover quickly because of the, the number of breaks in the leg. So if anybody's ever broken a bone, yeah, a single it bone, was complicated. yeah, what you do is you put a, a metal rod in it or something, and then you, you need to start applying pressure because the pressure increases blood flow and that basically improves healing and so on. And very quickly you get back on your feet. However, because I broke my leg in five different places, clean breaks, um, it, they told, hey, you can't put any pressure on this for nine months. Um, so you were mm. literally uh, sort of in this cast, like old school cast, couldn't move the leg, couldn't bathe it, couldn't do anything. And it was like, you could just sit on this and actually be on crutches. So obviously in that situation, it was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get a job here um, in this scenario. Um, and I just have to focus on recovering as much as I can. And as a result of it, I spent a long time being able to ruminate on how I'd come to this point. Why did this happen? Um, and just looking around me, thinking what I need to do. Um, and I just realized over the course of this recovery, and by the way, again, no sub story, but I was actually very determined to recover again. Um, but what that meant was that there was strong trips. Yeah, it, no, everyone's just motivated. As, as soon as you lose uh, your ability to walk, I, I promise you, you're very motivated to get that back, right? So it, uh, again, people who've suffered injuries of any type, I'm sure they would say the same. If you have lost uh, use of your leg for any period of time, you are really pissed. Like you want to start doing stuff. So you're motivated to do it. You want to get back. Um, and I was like super motivated. Doctor would say, hey, do 20 reps of this, I'd do 100. Um, and I just keep blasting through. And that was positive. But what it meant was ton of metal work went into my leg, right? Um, apparently Jeez. that metal work needs to come out over, you know, 10 years after we recovery and all this. But my determination to get fitter immediately meant that, oh, we can take this piece out. So it meant that I was going in and out of hospital taking bits out. Um, and that added another nine months onto the recovery, but it shortened the overall, yeah, it shortened the overall recovery time because I got it done in, in basically eighteen months. Um, but anyway, that's an unusually long period of time to have to do nothing but think and and you know, there's nothing going on, right? So I had there's almost pre-internet this. Right, so you can't do like, much. You can't be out and about. Yeah, yeah, you just spending time for yourself, man. So in that time, I just had some thinking to do, and I just came to a point where I realized, you know what. Uh, where I'm at now is as a result of my 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 privilege, like my my uh, sort of very much uh, a luxurious position to say I want to not work, right? That's a very luxurious decision to make to say, yeah, I don't want to. Exactly. Um, well, okay, what does that mean, Hung? Um, that means that other people need to take you care no money. of you. If you, yeah, if you can't take care of yourself. No one's going to take care of you or your mom's going to keep taking care of you. You know, so that kind of thing got in my mind. I thought, you know what? That's a very selfish decision for me to make. Um, I don't hmm. think, um, you know, I can continue on this path. I just need to get some money now and get it quick. So once the recovery was was done, meaning I was able to walk around and not have to go back and forth to hospital, um, then it was a case of, right, I need to go to London. I was living in a small town. In the <laughs> what could I do to make money doing ASAP. Yeah. Let's go into the heart of darkness. I thought to myself, you know, because this is the this is the place where all of the bad things I never wanted to get involved with 
all of the white collar people, all of the the, the sort of all the of the career. vices, that evil city of London, and the dungeons, and the darkness, and the dark alleyways. Exactly right. The the heart of <laughs> of capitalism in that space. And I I, I got to be honest, half of me might have chosen um, recruitment as just embrace the the worst of the worst. It was like screw it. I've made the decision. <laughs> if I'm going to do that. I'm just going to just dive into the deep end ASAP. Um, but there was an interesting moment. You know, uh, the world was changing at that point, similarly as it was now, where the internet was starting to happen in a, in a big way, starting to mainstream. Lots of exciting things were going on. Um, and I thought, you know what? If I join one of these companies, may, uh, recruitment companies, maybe I'll just learn about what this future is going to uh, look like and, you know, I'll figure it out as I go. And as recruitment is, you know, what you plan to be maybe a three, six month stay. If you end up doing more than six and months, you're doing 10 years, you know, so. No, you're, you're, you're a lifer in that. And what sector, what sector did you jump into uh, in the beginning? It was called back then. It was called, new, it was called new media back then. Um, and of course that was what we now Marketing. call web. Yeah. Online. Um, cause the, the early, com- yeah, the early companies that got into, um, web development were on media publishers, um, uh, you know, it, it, marketing agencies, as you said, they started thinking, right, we need to develop a digital arm. They called it new media publishing. Um, and, cause right. instead of print, once the banner ad started with the yahoos. Yep. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this in, in the early days, what was, what was one of those hard lessons to learn the hard way? In sort of once I got the job in recruiting, um, it, uh, it, it it's basically one of the key lessons is that anybody can do the job in terms of personality set. Um, because the company I joined, there was so much variety of high, uh, of personalities in the highest performance. You know, you had your classic bombastic mm-hmm. salespeople on one hand, but the highest biller was one woman who was literally an introvert. Um, and, and she didn't even work hard. She did nine to five, five thirty. She was out the door every she single day. Nope. She just disciplined. Didn't talk to anybody. Machine. Yeah. Didn't talk to anybody Worked. during, during just constant focus. Boom, 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 boom. Always hit the top, top biller every time. And if you spoke to your lovely woman, if you spoke to her, you would think no way is she a sales salesperson. No way is this kicked it Was- every single time. Yep. Hung, was there was there a moment when it kind of clicked for you that said, you know what, I, I really do enjoy this. It's capitalizing on my strengths. It's capitalizing on the things that I enjoy to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing this. I kind of like it. There was never like a long or short commitment to this. You know, really interesting. I never felt that. Hey, this is my life forever. And but I also never felt. Oh, I'm desperate to get out. Um, I was like, it's mm. an enjoyable job when it goes well. I mean, recruitment is a lot of highs to it. You can be. It, what I wanted oh, yeah. to achieve was, you know, earning money quick, and that did actually happen. So, thank you. Know, you 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 enjoy that, and you realize, okay, expensive city in London. Actually, earning the money makes a difference, um, and you end up being in a position where the good parts of the job outweigh the bad. So, I really enjoyed speaking with clients. I really enjoyed being able to advise them. Really enjoyed helping people genuinely get jobs. You know, some of some of the candidates I place have become good friends and stuff. You know, things like this happen as you get as you get through it. Um, and so, definitely the, um, the the good ended up outweighing the bad. And and as you get to a point where you know you've you've achieved some degree of financial success, you become a respected person within the client base and customer base you're dealing with. Then you think, yeah, this could be, this could be yeah decent way to. And it gets I wouldn't say it gets easier as you go through, but 
it kind of does because you suddenly know more you, people, they know more I, you, and it's like, yeah. Right. But but the thing I always talk about, and I really haven't talked about this in a while, is, is if you're on the agency recruiting side, not in-house for anybody listening out there, if you're an agency recruiter, it really is a roller coaster. There's ups and downs, there's different levels. So for me specifically, it was, it was learning how to deal with the highs and the lows and how to bank my money and how to double down during, you know, slow times and how to keep my foot on the gas. And I think that's really important for any recruiters out there. One of the early mistakes that I made hung in my first year is I kind of, I had a really good three month run in the beginning. And then I took my foot off the gas during the summertime of my first year recruiting. And I followed that by two, almost three consecutive months of zero deals going through because I didn't have the flow and the momentum. And I learned that lesson really hard. And I think that's important yep. for any recruiter out there. You, you can't let up. You can't. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the BD side is, I mean, with the, the hard part of recruiting, uh, there's lots of hard parts, but one of the hardest parts is, you know, you're, you're, you, you've got to maintain a, a very consistent outbound business development uh, mentality, no matter how busy you are, because um, the, the, the customer that you're dealing with, it could be a huge account with loads of roles you've got to fill. Yes, you've got to fill them. Um, but you can't just lean on that and think that's going to do, uh, do, do, do your work. No. It's a, it's a very, very difficult trick. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 you know, one of the keys to success is being able to, to keep doing both at the same time, riding two horses and not, you got to keep your fun, I guess. Hey everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcast, you're using it for B2B, a B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. So so you went you went in-house at, at a point you were leading head of talent. What was that like to cross over to the other side? At first it was a shock. I mean, I I, I won't I won't sort of kid you. I think a lot of agency recruiters totally underestimate that move um, if they haven't done it before and they haven't seen the inside world. Um, and there's a couple of things that were very true. Uh, it's a different type of pressure now. So I, I respect both sides of the fence. Um, and uh, I, I totally understand how maybe there's some antipathy between one and the other because one is now selling to the other in many, many cases. Um, but in reality, right. every in-house recruiter is an ex-agent in some way. Uh, so they, they they should have more respect, I think, both sides. But um, the b- biggest thing I learned in going uh, internally is number one, your stakeholder management needs to be right on top of your game. Um, uh, so so one of the big differences is that you can't actually uh, walk away from your clients; you're sitting next to them. Um, you know, in in agency world, you can sort of abandon a client, even if a soft abandonment, right? Um, as customers mm-hmm. giving you these hard wrecks, you say, "Yes, sir, I'm going to do it." Yes, you do, but you know what? You don't have to speak to that person every day, and you know you, you kind of may know that you're never going to fill those jobs. You just have to deliver. Um, you just have to deliver if you want to close the deal. Or you need to be able to say no earlier internally. So when you're an internal sort of recruiter, 
because the, the manager's there sitting next to you, you definitely don't want to take on something you can't fill or is a small chance of filling because you're going to work your ass off right there and not do it. So you've got to you basically help teach you to say no more easily. Um, you'd learn, definitely learn more about how business operates. Um, so how other businesses operate. So a lot of recruitment agents uh, or agencies think they know about business because they think about their own company and they think about their uh, how, how that operates. But the reality is recruitment agencies are very, very unusual companies in terms of how they're structured. Um, uh, 99% of all people in recruitment so, agencies so, so are... It's like the mafia. Yeah, it's but they're like fee earning fee earning people, and the infrastructure within an agency is very very small. You don't get IT, you don't get marketing, don't get much HR, you don't get any of those functions. You just everyone's a fee billing uh, and running your own desk. So in in many respects, right, it's a very unusual. Yeah, but it's a very unusual business. Most companies are not structured that way. Um, they will have different distributions of people doing different things, and they all have to work together. So. If you're in-house, you have to learn that and then understand that you're TA in probably HR and then you need to be able to interface with different functions in the business. Um, and that's a big education curve. It's, it's a big part of, of managing expectations and not that you don't on the agency side, but when you're in-house, you have a lot of, as you said, stakeholders and you have to manage expectations. The other real key difference is you need to fully understand the business, really understand what they're looking for. How's that person that you're going to hire fit in a dynamic uh, within the organization. Yeah, 100%. I think that's your responsibility. Um, but And in fact, depending on the size of the company, your education should improve. Um, if you're working startup, for instance, you can actually uh, very quickly start recruiting half the company. That I remember that experience actually where you know, day one, you day one, you're 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 sort of start. You know, nobody in the company. You're just like the baby. Uh, but after five months, maybe you've recruited twenty five people, thirty people, sixty people, and of a hundred person business, and actually, you know, half the business already intimately because you've brought them in. Um, so your worldview will change very quickly in that startup environment. Obviously, you join a big corporate, different story. Um, but it, it may be a same story, but at a slower pace. Uh, in other words, the more people you end up recruiting. The, the greater your awareness right. and the greater your influence, to be honest. So speaking of startups, talk us through that decision and the move to uh, to leave the head of talent world and move into where you are now in advising startups and building companies and, and taking on this next season or chapter of your career in life. Well, I have to tell you, there's probably a correction I need to, to make there um, because the, the the era where I was Please advising startups, yeah, the, 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 the era when I was advising startups in in growth really was um, uh, co- uh, sort of co- in, 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 in parallel with doing the head, the head of talent stuff. So I was working for multiple companies, uh, helping them design recruitment strategies, helping them you know grow, grow as companies. Um, but I, I bounced out of that. Basically, there was a, a fork in the road, maybe 2013, 2014, something like that. Now going back, you know, it's nearly 10 years. But um, you end up knowing a bunch of uh, software engineers as a result of recruiting software engineers, right? Um, and uh, one of the great things about that is that, you know, a lot of those uh, uh, engineers become friends. A lot of those people have got great building skills. And, of course, mm-hmm. one of the hardest problems that you, that you have, uh, great ideas, one of the hard, hardest problems you have is I can't get anybody to build this. Well, I didn't have that problem because I had tons of people that could build stuff. Um, and so a friend of mine actually came to me with an idea um, and he said, you know what? Um, oh, he was a developer. I placed him in, in one company. He then moved on 
And I became his like, you know, I was a career coach, but I was the guy that he came to whenever there was like a problem. And he was complaining to me and saying, uh, Hung, why do you guys, meaning recruiters, right? So I was responsible for all of his recruiting problems. <laughs> he said, yeah, why do you guys always call me for stuff I don't want to do anymore? Um, and I said, listen, man, firstly, I'm not responsible for what other recruiters do. Um, but actually, you've introduced, a, secondly, you've introduced a very interesting idea because it is a very persistent problem. Um, recruiters call up a candidate. The first conversation is, hey, I've got this job. Are you interested? Why doesn't that recruiter already know or, ha- or have a good guess as to whether that person's interested? Um, and the reason why is because, uh, the reason why though, is because the only information the recruiter has hold of is historical data. Um, so a resume or a CV or even a LinkedIn profile, even a GitHub profile, all of that is historical. It's stuff the person has done in the past. It's not present. It doesn't tell you what they want to do in the future. Um, and the frustration that my, my friend had, he was a PHP. His entire career path up to that point was PHP, which is a programming language. Um, and he didn't want to do PHP. He wanted to do JavaScript. Uh, but he didn't have any experience in JavaScript. Mm. So that he was upset at this. And I was thinking, hmm, uh, why is that missing component there? Is there a way in which we could capture um, what the person wanted to do and then give that to the recruiter before they made the call, and that will save everyone a load of time. So the recruiter doesn't have to waste time qualifying, pre-qualifying, are you interested? Because he would already know that developers want JavaScript. What a concept. What a crazy concept. Um, it's crazy. It's basically what we do first call, right? First call, we're not doing anything other than establish interest. It's a screening call. collect the interest before that call happens because that call is annoying particularly if you're let's say a high highly skilled in-demand person you might be filled fielding that you may be saying the same thing to multiple recruiters all the time no i don't want php i want javascript oh next call comes in no i don't want php i want javascript uh, and all this type of stuff right um so it, there, there was no information locked into a resume or a linkedin profile that is future focused what this person wants um, and that's where the idea of WorkShape came up. It was, it was an attempt to collect information uh, from software engineers about what they wanted to do um, and in our innovation yeah, in advance. Our innovation was to think about jobs in a different way. Um, so instead of job titles and, and programming skills, we, we thought of jobs in terms of time distribution, time over tasks. Um, so we broke out hmm. a software engineering role into 10 general activities that you do as a software engineer. Um, and we said, okay, if you had like 100 points um, and you could distribute these 100 points across these 10 uh, uh, sort of dimensions of what an engineer would do, how would you distribute them? Um, and you'll have different distributions because one software engineer would say, you know what, I only want to do front end. I don't want to do back end. Don't talk to me about DevOps. And I really hate QA, right? Great. So they, they would... <laughs> dump all of their points, if you like, onto the stuff they wanted to do, we would then visualize that into what we call a work shape, which is basically a radar chart, of, which is a visualization of the sentiment of this person. And then we would match that visualization to a job that an employer that was recruiting software engineers had similarly distributed those points. Because when you say software engineer, makes total sense. That, that may, means different things to different people. As in fact, we know if you were different recruiting jobs, for different recruiter, industries, different everything. Even recruiter, you could apply it. Um, one recruiting job in, a, in, a, in in company A 
totally different to company B based on, okay, I need uh, company A maybe, I need you on the phone, make 100 calls a day. Um, uh, company B might be, hey, listen, we're a relationship-focused company. Totally different job, right? Even though they have the same titles. Totally different. But with a points-based distribution of a task, you'll be able to figure that out. So that's what we want to do. We want to get beyond text. Uh, We want to go to time instead of text uh, and create these visualizations and and, and create that um, uh, that that plan. It was yeah. Go ahead. I was about to say so, like, just kind of bring us up to speed. Where 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 is that company, that product at at now, and your involvement? Well, we folded it. I mean, it didn't work. Uh, the The product was great and it did work. I think technically, but the business didn't. Um, So, and this is my fault, obviously, as the CEO of the company. Um, but we, uh, we did okay. We, uh, one of our problems was that we kind of made revenue too early, I would say. Um, and we made enough revenue early enough for, for us to, to mistake um, that we could potentially run it bootstrapped. Um, because, you know, mm. re- revenue was okay, could kind of feed three people. Um, but in reality, no. Um, you know, we were very vulnerable to changes. Um, and one of the the key guys, one of the founding members, in fact, the first person who came with the idea, he was in California at the time. He moved over there with his girlfriend. Um, and I remember when the, the, the show was effectively over, um, when uh, when uh, the Brexit uh, and it was announced, and looking back at it now, 2016, <laughs> because the, the the exchange rate screwed us because he was I was paying him in pounds. Exchange rate absolute collapsed oh, like it has you. now. And then suddenly he, he couldn't accept that salary anymore. And he, he said next day, listen, hung, I can't do it. Uh, kids on the way. And I thought, you know what? I totally get it. Um, we can't afford to pay you as is. We haven't raised any money. You're you're in US. Basically, you've got other things to take care of. Got to let you go. Uh, and I thought that we maybe could continue the, the company in a, in a slightly different way. But in reality, I think that the company finished uh, at that point. Lessons um, learned. Lots. Lo- yeah. Lots. Lots of lessons learned. So I want to I want to switch gears for a moment and and get a couple of hot takes from you as somebody who really truly is a thought leader within the industry who has their finger on the pulse. What what's you know there's a lot of hubbub out there around remote work and and if you look on LinkedIn, it seems to be that either it's black or white. It's either Pro return to office, work from anywhere, work from home for the rest of our lives. And I, and I feel there's no middle ground. There's no common sense. There's no talking about flexibility, choice, understanding of, of people's options and understanding of where they live and work. What's, what's your hot take on the whole return to office situation post-pandemic? So obviously, this is like a, a major battleground, right? So I think the, the battle lines have been drawn in the sense that very obviously, owners and managers want people back in the office. I think politicians also want people back in the office. Um, the workers, uh, workers generally um, who have had experience of the office and experience now of remote, definitely don't want that. Um, so there's going to be a conflict. We've already seen scenarios where you know people have refused to do it. Famous examples, I think, in at Apple, for instance, where mm-hmm. backwards and forwards of public letters and so on. Um, I think that that battle will continue. Uh, it'll eventually shake out, though, in the sense that, um, you know, when a CEO says, look, we're back in the office in some way, that's going to trigger resignations um, and people will eventually self-sort into companies it's that are be remote. Um, but there's enough companies that will offer remote only. There'll be some companies that say, hey, here's the in-office commitment. And it will whatever suits uh, the person, uh, they will go to those places. So we we basically need to reallocate people to where they need to go, what style of company there is. We know, for instance, uh, early entry talent definitely wants in-office. So maybe in-office companies become younger, 
Um, maybe the remote only companies become, you know, sort of, uh, sort of more remote. Um, so, so yeah, there'll be those types of changes. And that's an, that's an interesting take too, because I, I hear a lot on the ground both ways when it comes to young workers. I think the younger workforce are the ones being hurt the most by not having that experience of mentorship and understanding collaboration in person. And then I also hear the other side of it that says we're, we're digital natives. We grew up mm-hmm. in this world. We know how to uh, communicate over Zoom, Slack, all the other pieces well there too. I go, that's fine in theory, but you're missing out on the human interaction. You're missing out on those soft skills and, and having being able to sit in a meeting with a senior executive and watch their body language and watch how they interact with a client. Those are the pieces that you're missing. On the other side of it too, call me crazy. Humans are not meant to work in silos. We're social beasts, most of us, and we're not meant to work in a, in a bubble. And it's going to be interesting to see how the younger workforce develops as far as their professional development, their career growth, and how this pans out. Because we're only, what, two and a half years into this. What is this going to look like? But spot on with your um, hot take, I believe, in the reallocation. This is not, we're not going backwards, we're going forwards. And we're going to see how we self-select and self-sort into certain roles. What's your hot take on quiet quitting? Is it a buzzword? Is it bullshit? Or in my opinion, it just means, hey, people are phoning it in and mailing it in for years. Like nothing's changed. There's people who literally do the bare minimum to get shit done. Yeah, I mean, that's the description, right? Bare minimum. Um, I, I think, yes, there's a lot of media hype and sometimes it's sort of movements, if you like, can be created by you know clever journalists that coin terms and so on. Um, having said that, I do think quiet quitting is a phenomenon. Um, I think it's it's basically um, a, a lot of uh, white collar workers recognizing that the the story of working super hard and you know the the, the carrot that was dangled was always a bit of a mirage mm-hmm. for the vast majority. Like you're not going to get there. This aligns to things like cost of living crisis, right? So you know, I think a lot of people in the UK, I'm sure the same in the US and different places also. Uh, would be, hey, you want to be a homeowner, you know, you want to get to a point where you can afford your own place. That's all social progress. That's all things that you need to do. This is what your parents have taught you. Well, guess what? The, the housing prices have accelerated way beyond the ability to afford for many, many people, in which case the idea that you should work super hard um, to try and get to this dream that isn't feasible, I think the penny has dropped for a lot of people. So I am more sympathetic to the concept of quiet quitting than a lot of skeptics. I think there is something there. Um, I think basically it's a quiet strike. It's basically a resignation by people who say, you know what, the the, the mm-hmm. work hard was a promise for me to get to a point. The point was never in existence, so I'm not going to work that hard. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to clock it in, um, and I'm going to clock it out. Just do what I got to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, let's before we wrap it up here, just talk about recruiting brain food for for a moment here. Just talk for a little bit about how that has evolved and the community uh, and the purpose and and staying on that course. Yeah, so uh, recruiting brain food actually emerged uh, from Workshape. It was like okay, it was one of the the long the hail marys, if you like, using a US term to say right, um, we need to find a way to, to for me to communicate with as many people as possible in a GDPR compliant sort of way. How do I do that? Okay, I set up a newsletter, people sign up to it, great. Um, But very quickly, as I was doing it, it became clear to me I was enjoying it, right? It was like, this is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. I want to keep doing it. Um, And it became clear to me as well that the market 
eventually wanted me to do this. It was, it was like, okay, I'm riding these two horses, but my mind has shifted very much towards brain food. It seems the, the market has definitely wanted me to do this. And that's when I thought, you know what, what I've got to do is commit full time and like, just uh, make sure I am the person that tries to you know, play a different role, uh, which is to try and um, uh, connect the community, create spaces where conversations can happen, um, help other people succeed, if I can do that, then that's that's my success. You know, I consider that my success when I see people, you know, that I might have helped in some small way. Um, I, you know, they accelerate in some fashion. I'm thinking, yes, that that's perfect. So, um, so yeah, that's the that's what Brain Food is. It's an online, it's a global community of recruiters from every part of the world um, and every type of person in the recruitment industry. Recruiting vendors, events people, agency recruiters, HR people that recruit, in-house recruiters, whoever it is. If you care about recruiting as a thing, I see you as a brother yeah. and a sister, and you're in the community. So, so that's love basically it. what it's all. And about. I love, I love, I love waking up to that on 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 Sunday mornings, right? Sunday mornings for me here in the in the in the US, right? Sunday morning. You send it out Saturday night, yeah? Or Monday no, morning. no, Sunday morning uh, for me, but some people might receive it. Um, in different times based on where you're at in, in time zones and what have you. So Hung, what's, what's next on the horizon for you? What's, what's in that? Well, looking, you know, what's, what's in the next, uh, you know, six, 12, 18 months, what are you working on? You know what I, this is, this is second time today. Someone's asked me that question. Uh, I've got to give the, the honest answer I gave to the first person I asked it, uh, which was, there's never a real like plan, right? Um, I mean, brain food is a very much an emergent, (laughs) Uh, idea um there was never like oh here like a strategy is is a path right um if you visualize what a strategy is the destination all you got to do is work out what the the fastest path is and that's where you want to get to um Mm. and that is what a strategy is now brain food does not have a strategy um the visualization i see is look it is a garden um, my role is to make sure I'm watering the plants, um, squash a few bugs here, you know, have a few more bugs over there, um, maybe uproot a few weeds in this place, maybe plant a few more plants there. Um, and if the overall garden is looking fresh and growing and looking thriving, that's enough for me. Um, and what I've found by having this type of posture is that inevitably positive things happen for me, you know. Um, so Fantastic. keep helping the community in different ways. Um, keep protecting it in the right places, uh, challenge it in some other places Natural also, problem. like create situations where you can't just all be comfort zone folks. You know, you've got to edge people to, to, to the edge of those. Um, and, uh, and, you know, good things just happen. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's not just karma. It's basically being able to touch enough things and, you know, give yourself a wider uh, surface area for opportunity to drop on your plate. Hung, you truly are an ambassador and a shepherd and a great representation for the recruiting industry and definitely keep that up. Everyone check out Recruiting Brain Food. Hung, let's bring it home here. Um, I don't think I asked you my two closing questions when you were episode 14 because I wasn't doing it then. I mean, maybe I did. But Hung Lee, what what is the single greatest piece of advice that you ever received in your life that you take action on daily? It's actually not a piece of advice that anybody gave me, but it's an advice I give myself. Um, and this sound, it's going to sound super meta, um, but I actually don't believe in advice. Um, I, I think advice is, is generally someone else's sort of perspective on a solution. Um, and every, every person has a unique set of circumstances. Everyone has a unique context. And someone else from the outside is in no better way to advise you than you are yourself. You have to become your own advisor. 
Um, you are the best person to solve your own problems. Adam Posner is the best person to solve Adam Posner's issues. Hung Lee is the best person to solve Hung Lee's issues. Maybe. Whoever's listening here, the best person and maybe the only person to solve your issues is you. Um, so that is the kind of advice. Don't take advice. Look inward. Think about who you are and make the decisions from that starting point. And that is great advice, Hung Lee. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone out there listening, um, last it, it's funny how that works. And, and last but not least, um, you've had quite the fascinating, interesting life. Been there, done that. You've seen things that some people should never see. Um, you've done some really cool stuff in your life. But it hasn't always been, you know, sunshine and rainbows. And you look back to those tough times and you look back to that moment when you were trapped in the car and your leg is all mangled. And you look over at your mom and you're worried and concerned about her. And you had to look down deep inside and harness your inner tenacity to drive you through that recovery and into the next phase of your life and onwards. And now when you sit here with gratitude, appreciation, and just, just joy of doing what you do for our community, Hung Lee, what keeps you focused? What is your compass? What is your North Star in life? Yeah, you know, the North Star is, 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 the, is, the, is, is, the, is the community. Um, it, I, I see that uh, there's a responsibility now because there's so many people interacting with it. Um, and that gives me motivation, um, you know, to see people actually thrive. I was in a conference yesterday and there was so many people actually that I never knew. They came up to me with so much goodwill, um, because I had helped them in some way. They read something that, you know, I, I, I circulated and so on, or they listened to a podcast and whatnot. Um, and you realize that actually you have more impact than, than you might realize. And I think that's true for everybody at every level. Um, if you're able to just be a plus one in the universe, um, that is okay. No matter how small you think that may be, mm. think of the, your day as, look, are you going to be a plus or minus to the universe today? Um, and if you're going to be a minus, just stay home. Uh, you know, don't inflict that on anybody else. Uh, but if you are going to go out there and, and, and do anything and interact with anybody, give the universe a plus one. We need the help. Um, you know, uh, and if you do that, then I think that's all we can do. Well said. Hung Lee, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for your support. I greatly appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you on either side of the pond in the near future. I want everyone to connect with Hung on LinkedIn. Uh, follow him. You could also check out uh, recruitingbrainfood.com uh, anywhere else. Are we missing anything? Are you on OnlyFans these days? Where could folks, where could folks connect with you and learn more? Yeah, my OnlyFans was a complete fail, man. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not an OnlyFans. Um, but you, do you know what? I'm, I'm actually available like loads of places. I think if you typed in Hung Lee somewhere on, on Google, because there's so much content out there, chances are I'm going to be the first guy up there. So feel free to connect everywhere. LinkedIn is actually really tough because I've actually hit the, the connection limit. Um, and I don't right. know if people who've, who've hit that will know it's actually really difficult to delete people because there's no filter that you can act effectively use. Um, so you follow that. But yeah, yeah. Re recruitingbrainfood.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. Once you do that, you've got an email uh, and I respond in emails on that. So you can you can connect with me on there. Awesome. Hung, this has been great. Hang with me one moment here. I greatly appreciate you and everyone listening. Hope you uh, got to know Hung a little bit better and, and his story. And if this show resonated with you, sharing means caring. Uh, leave a review or rating. It goes a long way. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. 
Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>